In episode 11, the She Team picks up where we left off in part one of the Great Pastoral Resignation, offering advice and wisdom on how to do triage to provide care for your pastor. We get super practical with suggestions for church boards and congregants in how they might fulfill their responsibility to care for their pastors. And then we draw on our own ministry experiences and drop a few gems of wisdom for pastors who long to build a life of resilience and longevity in congregational ministry. One more thing, if you are a regular listener, join our Facebook page called the Shaklesiology Listener Community for updates and other conversations. If Instagram is more your thing, follow us at Shaklesiology. All right, let's jump in. I'm Jane Wilcox, and you are listening to Shaklesiology. Girls talk in church. Tell your girls a story, I will tell you a lie. Anything you want, you can do it just fine. Come on. Come on and rock the world. If they tell you you can't do it, you just turn it up and play like a girl. Besides myself, Shaklesiology is M. Who? Jennifer Johnson. Chris Ann Swartley. One of the long-term strategies that I thought would be helpful to poke at is the shift towards different cultural expectations and the responsibility of, of churches. Melissa Foyer-Bixler, she says, quote, for decades, church people assumed their pastor's commitment to the church would supersede any bruising or bullying that congregants doled out. I am grateful for my colleagues who are putting this myth to rest by resigning from churches that refuse to provide them the support and care they need to thrive in ministry. I mean, those are some tough words. She's basically calling some church leaders and probably board members, maybe bullies. I think this has a lot to do in congregations where you may have pastors maybe whose leadership skills are still being developed and that church board that has an awful lot of power and will assume leadership and decision-making while the pastor is not necessarily allowed or permitted to really voice their opinion or their decisions. And so there's misalignment of leadership and maybe too much authority and power within a church board. What is the responsibility of churches and members to reshift that balance and those expectations and maybe the power that's being exercised in churches. So what are your thoughts? It's a weird dichotomy, isn't it? Where on the one hand, we don't want to respect and we don't want to give them the authority that we might've had for clergy or for that role in the past. Like we've, we've chipped away at that authority or Mm -hmm. what we're willing to take from them or what kind of um, spiritual guidance we think is appropriate for them to give. And yet at the same time, we have them on a pedestal where they're, they're supposed mm-hmm. to do no wrong. It's really an untenable position. It is. Yeah. yeah. Yep. I think one of the revealings that's been happening is the failure of discipleship in the American mm-hmm. church. I think we focused a lot on right beliefs about things. You have to make sure your doctrine is in order and yet behavior mm-hmm. There's some very unchristian behavior that can happen in what we would call very good churches. I I believe another unveiling or revealing right now is this failure of discipleship that people's behavior does not align with what they say Mm -hmm. they believe. Mm -hmm. And I got to tell you, this is one of my favorite things at Doylestown Church is they 
years ago when they were in between pastors, the interim pastor very wisely took the congregation through a process to come up with a healthy communication protocol. This is how we talk to each other when we disagree. This is how we talk when we've been hurt. This is how we have chosen to communicate with each other. And I love it because it gives those of us who are serving, it gives us something to refer back to. So like if someone comes to me and says, well, people are saying this, Chris Ann, I can say, well, actually part of our communication protocol says that you only speak for yourself. You don't speak for an invisible group of people. So what, what do you need to say to me? Um, you know, and and in there, there's stuff about triangling in there that, you know, you will not, you won't go to someone on behalf of someone else, but you will encourage them to go directly to the person. This is how we at Doylestown Mennonite church have chosen to communicate with each other. And it's so, so, so helpful. And so is that, so how is that presented? Like say a new person comes, Mm -hmm. new family comes, is that part of membership process? Like when do they get exposed to those expectations? I believe, I believe it's in the new member process. Yeah. Okay. Are you either you or um, the lead pastor referencing those protocols publicly? I'm sorry, you call them protocols? Yeah. Communication protocol. Like, so if you're not a member or you're not going through the membership process, are you, are you still getting exposed to those expectations? For example, this new couple starts to come and they want to have a one-on-one, even though they're not necessarily familiar with that protocol, would you say, well, we do have a communication protocol. Would you at least reference it at that point? I would. Yeah. Yeah. And I have on occasion, if someone came to me with like the invisible group, you know, I will say. Actually, do, we, we have an agreement here that we just speak for ourselves. So what do you need to say? Mm. Go ahead, Jen. Well, I'm circling back a little bit to, to a previous episode, um, but yeah. I feel like there's, there's circles of mm. conversation here that we, we come back to some things because we talked in, in that one in, in some detail about how we have trained pastors, especially lead pastors, we've trained them in. Bible, we've trained them in theology, we've trained them in some practical ministries, like here's how to do a funeral, here's how to do a hospital call, whatever. But we don't always train them in the Mm -hmm. skills of leadership, which is a skill that can be taught in many ways. I mean, some people are more naturally gifted at it than others, but it can be taught. Conflict Mm -hmm. management, emotionally healthy spirituality, there's a whole schizero stuff. I can't remember who said it, but I remember reading years ago that a church can only rise to the level of the pastor's mm-hmm. spiritual maturity. Mm-hmm. None of us are, are completely right. you know, whole or spiritually mature because Jesus isn't back yet. But that was a really sobering thought that mm-hmm. if you have people who are marginally healthy or unhealthy in positions of leadership, they're not even going to know to have a communication protocol. They're not even going to know what triangulation is or why to avoid it. They're not going to understand boundaries. So how are the people that they're leading supposed to, and how are they supposed to create a culture yeah. that even if you don't explicitly name a communication protocol, you can have a culture of we communicate in healthy ways or we don't. Yeah. And, and I think, um, the podcast that we listened to, she talked about how our pastors have been 
forced to focus more on negotiation than proclamation. In other words, that they're being sucked into these mm. conflicts and they're being yeah. pulled away from their job of proclaiming the gospel. And I think that's valid. I think that's a fair point. But I also would counter it by saying they should have been trained to do more than proclamation in the first place. Yeah, right. And some of these problems are coming because they don't have skills to be shepherds of unruly sheep (laughs) we're compared to sheep in the bible because that's how we behave and so anybody who who considers them as themselves a spiritual shepherd or a a pastoral leader and i love the play on pastoral by the way um yeah they're dealing with sheep Uh and and i don't think anybody i think very few people think they're consciously going to go in and they're just going to study theology and read the Bible in the, in the right. original languages. And that's their job. But I think we've done pastors a disservice by not letting them know how much of that other stuff is part of the mm, job and yes. equipping them for it. Yeah. Fresh out of college, I was a youth pastor. And so much of my job was working with the junior high youth sponsors and the senior high youth sponsors who were all adults older than me. I'm 23, fresh out of college. All these people were older than me, had kids of their own, and they were volunteering in the youth program. I was supposed to lead them. I didn't have a clue. My youth pastor program taught me how to work with the kids. Didn't tell me Mm -hmm. how to work with adults, especially adults who were older than me. I remember calling up one of my professors and I was like, you've got to help me. You didn't train me for this. Exactly. (laughs) What do I do? But to the original question of how can churches help support their leaders in that situation, Chris Ann, I would think as somebody who's now, who would now be considered one of those older, you know, adult sponsors, if we had a 23 year old youth pastor who was new to it and who maybe wasn't always connecting in the best way with the adult volunteers, part of what I could do in that situation and probably should do is mentor, maybe a little too big of a word for, but coach, have a conversation. Mm -hmm take out for coffee, encourage, point out a blind spot, be kind. Instead of just griping about the inexperienced youth pastor who doesn't know how to work with volunteers, step up and be part of the solution. And I think there are a lot of people who are doing that in the local church whose efforts are unknown by us and they're known by Jesus. Mm -hmm. But I think there needs to be more of that. You can be part of the solution, even if it's in an imperfect fumbling way, you're not always going to get it right. So imagine, uh, and I think we're all, okay, Kim's a little young. I mean, she's slightly younger. I mean, she could be my daughter, but she's only slightly younger. <laughs> you said it like that, not me. That's <laughs> uh, so imagine uh, if you knew your pastor was really contemplating, like seriously contemplating, taking the next exit, whatever comes along, maybe it's, you know, bagging groceries is better than actually pastoring this church. What are some actual suggestions that we could give church boards that should really have some level of responsibility to these struggling pastors, suggestions that are geared towards congregants, board members, ministry leaders that are not pastors or pastoral staff? I I read a tweet today where, where somebody said he had gotten one of those dreaded texts, hey, can we meet for coffee? And the pastor was like, oh man, what's this going to be? And the guy followed it with a second text. He said, no agenda. I just want to encourage you. 
first of all, that's just great to do that. But then secondly, to have the self-awareness to send the follow-up text of like, Mm -hmm. this guy's probably freaking out right now. I need to let him know I'm coming in here to help. So Mm -hmm. I think just small things like that could could be huge. Another thought I I was having was love their kids, love their Mm -hmm. spouse. Um, and don't expect their kids to always be the star of the Christmas pageant or don't expect their wife to leave VBS and don't expect like, let their, let their six-year-old be a six-year-old who sometimes has tantrums, just like every other six-year-old. And, and I'm not saying this from experience at all, at all, but sometimes their spouse is going to come to church and not want to be smiley to everybody because they've had a hard week and an entirely different professional or personal yes. realm and they're not feeling real smiley and you get to come to church sometimes and not be smiley. So why can't they? Yeah. And I'm not saying I understand that there are expectations and appropriate levels, but just allow them to be human, I guess is yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah. Everybody yeah. else is allowed to be human. So let the pastor family be human. Mm-hmm. One of the gifts of a denomination is that mm-hmm. often, at least, well, I'll just speak for Mennonite church. USA, my denomination, they have standards like pastors should get a three to four month sabbatical every seven years paid. Mm. Um, they even have like salary guidelines and you type in your area of the country, um, the level of education of your pastor, how many hours a week they work approximately. And it spits out numbers to help guide Mm. congregations. There is a big advocacy for pastors taking a Sabbath day, Um, so that, I mean, that is, I know denominations are struggling and they have their downsides. So, so I, I get that sometimes being an independent church is helpful, but I feel like one of the gifts is that denominations can give pastors some coverage, like some, some guidelines for congregations. So suggestion might be if if you chair the Mm -hmm. church board, go tap your denomination for those resources and then play defense for the pastor. You're, you're, you are going to, you tell the pastor, you're going to schedule a three month sabbatical. We know all the things that need to be taken care of. We'll sit down, we'll work through those. We'll outline them again. It's sort of like the the obvious, but spelling it out. Mm -hmm. uh, Because I think if the pastor has to go to bat for themselves every time or defend why they're they why they want to take a sabbatical or why they need counseling that in its, in and of itself is exhausting to always need to justify your needs to a board. Mm -hmm. I think I would ask the question of what is non-negotiable that this spiritual leader must do either because it's Mm. so fundamental to the role of, of senior leader or because of that person's giftedness or both. And what isn't, what can potentially be outsourced? And I use a, a secular corporate term there Mm-hmm. But I use it advisedly because that's where many of these board leaders and, and lay leaders are coming from. Yeah. What can either be delegated to somebody else, as we've talked about internally, or mm-hmm. what could be done better? I think of things like these pastors who on top of everything else that we've mentioned are trying to lead the congregation in a capital campaign, or they're trying to figure out, yes. should we do a second site? Or they're trying to figure out these big mm-hmm. strategic questions. And I realized, again, I want to say I am, I am owning the, (laughs) I get the small church. I mean, we, we had a church that 
it was great if we had a hundred people there on a Sunday. I'm talking about the churches that are in that uncomfortable middle where you're big enough mm-hmm. to be thinking about some of these things, but you don't feel like you have the resources, find the resources yeah. to get a professional or a, or a consultant or somebody to come alongside, mm. whether it's in some huge way, or even if it's just to pay that, pay that company or that consultant, um, for a few hours a week to help that pastor brainstorm, come up mm-hmm. with tactics. Yeah. I mean, because I guarantee you, whatever other gifts that person is bringing to the ministry, it's probably not architecture. Right. <laughs> it's probably <laughs> not like financial strategic modeling. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's just, a, that's just a stress that these, these guys and gals don't need to have the huge churches do that just as a matter of course, because they have the resources. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't mean it's not an all or nothing. There's ways you can tap into expertise that could be mm-hmm. really helpful and could take something off of the plate. But it, again, it takes somebody to advocate for that and find the budget money. Yeah. Yeah. I got to preach for the first time on a Sunday and that was really monumental, um, which was great. <laughs> but what I really appreciate is that so many people, so many people prayed mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. And as yeah. we're talking about, you know, like budgets and consulting and, and sabbaticals, um, to me, these are things that are a little bit out of my scope just because of um, the church context I come from. They're all great. But to me, I'm like, what can what can a sophomore in college do for our pastor? Mm-hmm. And very practically is to pray and to pray well and not to pray because you don't like their sermon and not to pray because you think they look funny, but like actually pray for yeah. them. It's really hard. I did one message and I'm like, I understand why pastors go home and pass out after church and just like want to like be in a dark room with a soft blanket and not talk to anyone for the rest of the day. And I'm extroverted and I felt like that. And so I get it. So I think there cannot be enough emphasis on praying for your pastors and to pray for them, not just to be good leaders, but to pray for them because this is your brother or this is your sister in Christ. And they very Mm -hmm. much need it. Um, and to tell them that you prayed for them. Never before had there been so many channels in which to contact your pastor. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I know we don't like emails. The younger generations don't do email. They're like, what is that? Um, but it, it makes such a difference. Yeah. I, I think not just not because like your words were fancy, but to know that um, people are for mm-hmm. you. Like that's what prayer says yeah. when, when you pray for your pastor and your pastor knows that you're praying for them. Like you are for mm-hmm. them not because of what they do, but because like, you know, that they are for your ministry and that they love you and that you want to, you want to be behind them in some sort of way. And that takes Mm -hmm. no consulting. It takes no budget. Preach Kim. Yeah. Very very little time. And it's very accessible. Mm -hmm. Um, and so cannot give enough emphasis to that as someone who has now been on the receiving end of Mm -hmm. that. Um, it makes a big difference. Love that. I remember a story that Todd Bolsinger, he wrote, uh, he wrote several books, but one was called Canoeing the Mountains. Mm-hmm. And um, he spoke at our conference, annual conference last year. And he told the story, maybe he might tell it in the book too. But he had a woman in his first church that would tell him every week that I am praying for you. I am praying for you. And he tells the story and you know, I don't know how long ago it's been. It's probably been like 25 years ago. And he acknowledges the fact that the success of his ministry, his ability to do what he has been able to do, he says it was because this woman continued to pray for me. 
Michael Frost tells the same story about a woman that came to him when he was very young in ministry and spoke a prophetic word over him that has continued to guide him. He also says that much of the success that he has had in ministry was because people were praying for him. Hmm. I 100% agree with you, Kim, that praying for our pastors and their families and also telling them that you're praying for them, even if you miss a day, <laughs> is, uh, it, it is the foundation for this lifelong endurance resilience in, in pastoral ministry. So pastors, tell your churches, ask them to pray for you, to pray for your wife, to pray for your husband, to pray for your kids. Tell them that you need that. Hey, friends, I want to jump in while I have your ear and let you know that I've recently launched a Facebook page called Ecclesiology Listening Community. My hope is that it creates a space for dialogue among our listeners and with the women you hear on the podcast. I'd encourage you to post your thoughts on the page when something we've said intrigues, compels, or even angers you. Let us wrestle through it together, sharing ideas, sources, practices, and fresh ideas about the church that includes and supports your voice. See you there. Last thought, as we're talking about prayer, I know the way that we went about it, we kind of talked in these very practical solutions um, and both Jen and Chrisanne are saying like, hey, like dig deep, do the work, find the support, find the money, get the budget to put these things like sabbatical coaching in place, et cetera. And, and we're saying as we pray for our pastors, like, yes, they need the prayer support. But I also wonder, I also wonder how much churches' hearts would change if they prayed for their pastors, not just as people, but then when those suggestions mm -hmm. came up, like for sabbaticals and raises and babysitting, how much their opinions mm. would change because their hearts toward their pastor has changed. And now when these things come to boards or they come to yeah. leadership, it does not seem like a monumental mm. ask anymore because now you have like gone into a place to see your pastor beyond what they can do and as people and have real needs. Um, and so to tie it all back together, we would love the both and. It is not just find the budget yeah. or do the sabbatical and pray or pray. It is, it is all and. Yeah. yeah. Which then is a great segue into these question. What can we suggest to pastors now? I am going to read a quote from Melissa Foyer Bixler. She says, my friends leaving ministry haven't given up on the gospel or the body of Christ but they also believe that the gospel is only good news if it is lived in the lives of those who claim our shared faith. It was never our job as pastors to keep the institutional church from dissolving. We are not spiritual entertainers. We didn't, we didn't take up this work to compete in the marketplace of meaning making. We don't build institutions. The institutional church is an experiment and like all experiments, it can fail. When it does, we wait in hope and see what good work God is up to next. What can we suggest to pastors in terms of practices or disciplines? And we can speak from our own experiences. Uh, those things that have helped us be resilient in ministry roles. Just give a, give a few tools in the pastor's toolbox for those that are listening. In my own life, it's been very, very, very important 
whenever I'm in ministry to ask the question, who pastors the pastor? Mm. Cause uh, if I'm carrying, if I'm caring for and carrying the burdens of this people, who's, who's doing that for me? Um, leaders need to be led. So, so something that I have tried to do is always have a spiritual director. So someone that mm-hmm. I can go to and I'm not pastor, I'm just Chris Ann yeah. and that spiritual director walks me through practices and asks me questions and suggests scriptures for me to meditate on mm. and encourages me to lament and to, um, be formed and to reflect on my own journey. Yeah. Um, yeah, I encourage every pastor to ask who is leading me, mm. um, who pastors the pastor. Love it. One of the authors that we read, Krista Cordova, in uh, I think it was Christianity Today article, she gave four fairly practical suggestions. But the one that captured my attention was to practice lament. Mm-hmm. If you think about the last two years of last two years of events or COVID specifically, it has been a lot of grief. I think it was at the turn to into 2021. We had not yet gotten the COVID vaccine out yet. And the numbers going into December and certainly from Thanksgiving and then the holidays were hitting like 3000 deaths a day. And I was just posting that number on Facebook Because if I stopped and thought about it, the level of grief, like every one of those 3,000 people has an entire family or someone that is grieving. Mm. And some pastor somewhere is burying them. The the climate of grief that we were trying to wade through. And I think that's why it is so appropriate to practice lament in this season. Hopefully we are post-COVID but we are still carrying a lot of that grief. Uh, And so how do you practice that? And one of her suggestions was simply first to acknowledge it. Acknowledge that there is uh, something to lament and then in prayer, cry out to God. I went to a seminar a while ago and it was about grief and I don't remember all the details, but one of the practices that she suggested was when you leave, for example, a very difficult counseling session with someone, or someone has just told you something that is so repulsive, that it is, it is a time to, to reground yourself and to let that grief wash over you, but you have to release it. You can't continue to carry layers and layers of grief. Let it wash over you, carry the burdens of the people, but then you have to hand that to God. Mm-hmm. You've got to, you've got to release that because at the end of the day, they are his people. They're sort of your people, but at the end of the day, you're just in service to it, the ministry. Mm-hmm. And so you release that back to God. I think sometimes it's easy to neglect the simple things. It's kind of been a theme throughout this conversation is there's simple things, but we still need to name them. We still need to take them seriously. Mm. And I think in that category would be things like stop eating crap all the time for every meal. Mm. I know you're busy. I know you're grabbing fast food between hospital calls. Stop it. Mm. Get a salad, get a smoothie. Um, Walk. You don't have to be in a speed walking Olympic competition, but take a walk, Uh, leave your phone at the house, Mm. get 
at least seven hours of sleep. You know your body, how much you need, but get at least seven hours of sleep. And I think also we were designed, we were designed to be in connection with the natural world. And so whether that is going for a hike or whether it's buying a kayak or whether it's going to the beach and you don't even, and and don't put any pressure on yourself that you're going to go and you're going to have the spiritual mountaintop experience and you're going to memorize three Psalms and you're going to hear from the Lord, like go in with the expectation that nothing spiritual is going to happen. And that's okay. God is still there with you. Mm -hmm. Um, Spirit is there. Um, And don't take your phone. And you might take a nap (laughs) and you might take a nap. (laughs) But I mean, the, I'm speaking so passionately about this because I know that the times for me, I can, I can find rest and restoration in reading scripture. I can find it in reading good books. I can find it in time with friends, which is also another one I was going to say is find people Mm -hmm. who aren't connected to your church at all and don't care about your church and go out to dinner Mm -hmm. with them. But the times when I feel most like myself and, and most at peace is when I'm sitting on my back deck, looking at trees Mm. or when I'm looking at a body of water. And I think that's because we're designed to be in connection with the creation that God has made Mm -hmm. us part of. I just Mm -hmm. think it's so important Yes, because I think especially people who are in ministry and who've gotten the advanced degrees and who've learned the Greek, we can be so in our heads Mm -hmm. and just go walk in the woods and get dirty. It'll be fine Mm -hmm. when you get back. One of the things I used to do was I'd attend a once a month personal retreat day. And it was at a retreat house called Francis House of Prayer. So besides the fact that you'd meet with a spiritual director, maybe like half an hour, you could pray, you could walk, you could read, you could draw, you could do whatever. So speaking of walking, Jen, there was one day I was going to Francis House of Prayer. It was the first of the month and I was so wound up and, and all of that, that meant emotionally, cognitively, I was just so wound up that I realized after a few minutes of being there, there is no way I'm going to sit or read or pray. And so I started walking. I left, you know, the, the property and I walked for about three and a half hours. Um, when I got back, it was, it was like, I had was completely unwound. And then I spent the next hour. I I think I journaled and it was so freeing, but I had to, I had to get that out. I had to walk. Mm -hmm. Jen started and Stole my my friendship one mainly just because like having friends is really important. Mm. There was a time earlier this year where I had this like crisis where I thought that because I chose a life of ministry, I was just going to forsake having friendship for the rest of my life, and this is the <laughs> hill I just chose to die on, and I had to be okay with that. And just before we recorded this episode, I was Satan speaking to you, girl. Satan. It was rough. I was going through something. Thankfully, (laughs) that's not the case. And one of my friends, she was just reminding me earlier this afternoon how, like, do you remember how you were like in utter despair that you thought you were going to have no friends because like you chose like God and ministry, right? And like, that's, that's obviously not true. We all, Christiane is, (laughs) Christiane is burying her face in her hands as I tell this very (laughs) sad story 
of where I was a few months ago. But now I have, um, I think I have greater friendships than I did even then. And it's not, be- and it's like weird to have, have like friends who have like all of a sudden like committed to like being with one another. And most of them don't go to my church. Uh, and nice. when they talk to me about things, it's like me as a person and like, yeah, mm-hmm. my ministry is part of that, but they also care that like I'm funny and that like, they like, you know, I, I need help picking out a shirt and I don't know how to like, I don't know how to tuck it in to make it look cute. And like, they care about all these other things in my life. And so they look back and they can point to the dreams that I've had and Mm. like the way it's come to fruition. I'm like, wow, to have people in your corner like that Mm -hmm. is so helpful. And I think the other one I thought of is, um, and I realized that I was guilty of this recently is that I have made my spouse my personal counselor, Mm. and you can't do that. (laughs) You can't do that. And this is something that I was in a, uh, I was in a pastoral counseling class earlier this year. And one of the guest speakers says that, yes, you share in things and you are one flesh and all that jazz. But when you start unloading just every single detail of your ministry on your spouse, pretty soon your spouse is not showing up smiley for different reasons. (laughs) And that's okay, but like pretty soon they're they're cranky at everyone they see at church too, yeah. right? And like that's not helping anyone yeah. else. And so um, I I can't speak to the benefits yet because it hasn't happened. But I finally um, scheduled a counseling session. I finally signed up for counseling because my church does give me a nice. budget for counseling that's and professional awesome. development. Wow. Um, And so I am like thrilled to do that and to have to undo a little bit of that work. Mm. Um, And so, yeah, just having other people in your life, like we need other people in our lives. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. I feel like a lot of people who go into pastoral ministry thrive on pleasing the crowd, maybe. Um, So some of it, right, is performance art. And I'm not just talking about worship leaders. But, you know, getting up in front of a people and motivating them or exhorting them or um, teaching them, a a lot of it is sort of performance art. And I don't mean that in a derogatory way at all. It's just part of what it is to lead. And one of the things I'm trying to work, because I'm a big performer, I've been either playing piano, singing, acting, whatever, since I was a little kid. And so part of my journey right now in midlife is unhooking myself, unhooking Mm. my identity and my sense of, um, fulfillment, unhooking that from how I have performed for the crowd. And one of the most healing passages in scripture, and, and I'm, I'm not equating myself with Jesus at all. I am not Messiah. I am not savior. I am not Jesus, but the, the story of his baptism has become so healing for me because he was baptized before he started his public ministry. And what did God say to him? This is my son whom I love and with mm. whom I am well pleased before yeah. he did nice. a blessed thing. He didn't do yeah. anything. And so I'm really trying to let that sink in. And I think it would help a lot of pastors if we just let that sink in that we are beloved and we are a child of God before we do a blessed mm. thing, mm. whether we succeed or fail, whether the crowd is pleased or not, let that 
belovedness sink into our bones. Fabulous. All right, ladies. Thank you so much. That was fun. Hey, friends. Thanks for being a part of our listening community. You can check us out on our website at girlstalkingchurch.com. You can also engage the She Team and other listeners by joining our Facebook page at Shaklesiology Podcast Community. See you there.